More than ever, we are in need to share the gospel. And Church at the Mill can't wait to do that with you in this podcast series, where we talk about who we are as a church and what we value. Join us for this spiritual and financial journey more than ever. Hello, welcome to the More Than Ever podcast. I'm your host and senior pastor of Church at the Mill, DJ Horton. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first uh, exposure to our podcast, this is a series of conversations that we recorded in uh, coordination with or alongside a journey our church is on right now called More Than Ever. More Than Ever is a lot of things, but it's a spiritual and financial journey. Our church is really galvanizing our vision across all of our campuses, and we wanted to use the vehicle and the platform of podcasts to Maybe have some more informal conversations. Uh, we believe in presentations and preaching and printed material, but sometimes it's good to just hear people talk, and we've explored a lot of different subjects. This one really has to do with one of the last statements in our vision. We've been communicating our vision as a church during more than ever this way. We want to seek to become a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. And that statement is just pregnant with meaning. And one of those meanings or word phrases is multi-site. And just before that is highly impactful. And that's what I want to talk about today with two very special young men who've become very quickly a part of my life and have come to be very uh, deep friends of mine, uh, fellow pastors. And so today I'm going to welcome Church at the Mills campus pastors, Dylan Baxter and Adam Siski. Hello, guys. Hey, great to be here. Thank you, Dylan. Love it. Glad Adam, to be here. glad to have you as well, man. So let me catch those of you up who are listening real quick. Church at the Mill uh, was founded in 1988, and for most of her history, uh, she was a single location church, and that is the majority of churches in the world, actually, but certainly in North America. However, in 2019, at the conclusion of building what I still believe was our final worship center, we launched a multi-site vision, got ready to do that, and was excited about it, very green at it, had a lot to learn, and then this thing called COVID-19 hit. And as senior pastor, I honestly thought, well, okay, Lord, I believe this is of you, but I've never navigated a pandemic, and I've never navigated a pandemic as a senior pastor, so we'll put this on the shelf and and get through this. And unbeknownst to us, and little could we uh, have predicted, but God in His grace allowed us to launch our first campus off of Central Campus. We do not, by design, use the word satellite uh, for a lot of reasons, but our first campus other than our central campus, uh, in a community called Woodruff, about 15 to 20 minutes south of our campus, which sits just outside of Spartanburg, South Carolina. And Adam, that is the campus that you pastor. When did you guys launch? How long have you been the pastor of Church at the Mill Woodruff Campus? Yes, so we officially launched in August of 2021. Mm-hmm. So we moved down there uh, five months before that, got settled into the community, and uh, we have been there now for a little over two years. Yeah, and things are going incredibly well. Yeah, could not have come up with the script ourselves. Mm. And then that happened in 2021, and we cruised along learning from that first campus plant, if you will. Uh, and it's not a church plant, it's a transplant. And I got that term from Wayne Bray, an interview I did with him. But, uh, but then in uh, the summer of 22, we were approached by 
a local church that was struggling. Uh, they knew they were dying. Um, they were called the church at Lake Cooley. They had previously been called Lake Cooley Baptist Church, and they were strategically located northeast of us. And by God's grace, this courageous group of senior adults primarily uh, voted to hand their campus, and many of their members came and and gave us the opportunity to launch what is now called Church of the Mill Lake Cooley. And Dylan, you are the campus pastor of that. How long have you guys existed, and how would you say things are going? Yeah, that's right. We've been, we started meeting in May, May 7th of this year, so coming up on five months now. And uh, just like Adam said, we couldn't have planned how well things are going if mm. we had. Yeah, I happened to be, uh, the, the night before this recording, I was at your campus uh, you were unable to be there. Congratulations is in order. Dylan, what happened in your life a few days ago? That's right. We had our first child. Autumn Grace was born on Saturday, and she and Amy are both doing well. <laughs> Did they get to come home? Uh, hopefully this afternoon is That's what we're awesome. aiming for. That's awesome. And for you here, as I want you to know, I didn't require Dylan to record this podcast with his precious wife in the hospital. He was able to get away and probably glad to get out of there for a few hours. Well, I'm just grateful that Amy's mom and dad were able to come and hang out at the hospital with her and give me the opportunity to slip out and run some errands and come over here. Well, there's nothing like being a dad. Congratulations to you. Thank you. But let's talk about being a campus pastor. Okay, Adam, so you and Dylan's path's a little bit different in that you've been a part of our team here at Church of the Mill. You and I have worked together for since when? When did you join the team? April of 2013, I came on staff as the middle grades pastor. Okay, and what roles did you feel on staff before you became the pastor of Church at the Mill Woodruff Campus? Yes, yeah, so I was the middle grades pastor for three years, and then in 2016, I transitioned to take over the high school ministry here uh, and filled that role from 2016 to 2021, so about five years um, as the high school pastor here. Um, before we uh, we got the news that we are planting a campus in Woodruff. Yeah. So. And the cool story, I think, about your journey into this is that you'd come to me, uh, rightfully so, on several occasions and said, uh, Pastor, I feel called to preach. You're a gifted preacher. Everybody who's been around your ministry knows that. And you and I had a conversation. I remember one night we talked late into the night because you were about to leave of course, with my love and support, but you were about to leave to take a church that I did not feel was right for you. You remember that conversation? I did. Um, in my mind, I was made up. I was leaving. I was going to head to Florida to take on a church that uh, Christy and I had a passion for smaller churches that needed to be revitalized and um, mm. in a community like much kind of like Woodruff, where there's one town, one stoplight, where we feel like we could go down there and minister to the whole community. And uh, I remember you saying, you said, hey, uh, it sounds like the right work, but you need to prayerfully make sure it's the right people. And I could not sleep that night. Hmm. And I'm glad. I certainly know that God has those people and he can take care of them, but I'm glad he didn't lead you to go. And so we navigated a couple of different opportunities. And then Woodruff opened up through a sister church that was struggling, that had come to the end of the race that, that they were running. And it was an obvious fit. So since then, you and your family You've gone all in. You've moved down there, bought a house down there. Your wife's working in the school system down there. Talk about that transition. Yeah. Um, when we do anything, we do it all the way. And uh, we go 100 miles an hour. And so yeah, you um, do. we were able to purchase a house within two months of making the decision to go and uh, found the first house we could find down there, which was um, in one of their newly built subdivisions and uh, not one that we particularly liked. We just knew we needed to be in the community. Um, Christy was a stay-at-home mom there for the first two, or for the first up till about right now, actually, and uh, we just we engrossed ourselves in the community. I've been the uh, the 
pastor of the football team there since 2018. Yeah. And uh, so love the community, already involved with the administration, already making relationships in the city. Um, and then lo and behold, uh, about five months ago, we had an opportunity to purchase a home of the previous principal of the high school there mm. and uh, right in the heart of the city, which happens to be less than half a mile from our congregation, which is really cool. And then Christy got a call the same day we closed on that house uh, to work in the office at the elementary school. So we get to be, we get to rub shoulders with everybody in the community. I love that. And I'll tell you why I love that from the seat I sit in as, as you know, one of the pastors and obviously the senior pastor here is that one of the beefs people have of large churches in our church now by any definition is, is large is that, well, they become impersonal, they become disconnected. And I absolutely think large churches, mega churches can become impersonal and can become disconnected. I think that's true for any organization, including the body of Christ. And I think scale has its risks, but because of our resources and our size, we were able to launch a campus and put a shepherd in a community and you, you live down there. You shepherd those people, and you also preach to them live. Talk about that. Talk about being a campus pastor uh, who preaches live every week. The greatest thing about it is is that I rub shoulders with the same people that I preach to Monday through Sunday. Yeah. So when I go to Food Line to buy groceries, I'm rubbing shoulders with them. When I'm sitting um, at Little League Ball Field watching my son practice, I'm sitting next to two people that love Jesus um, that love the community as well. And then on Friday nights, I'm rubbing shoulders with um, half the congregation because they're at the football field on Friday nights. And so when I get to stand in front of them and and preach, um, we're preaching the same text. Um, mm-hmm. We're preaching the, uh, the same divisional breakdowns of the text. Yeah, we'll get to that um, in a minute. But with that, I get to stand before them and contextualize that message directly to them because I know them. And yeah. so there's nothing like that. And then there's conversations that happen. There's ministry opportunities throughout the week that happen based off of me knowing them and preaching the word to them. Would you be a campus pastor if you didn't also get to be the preaching pastor? Probably not. It's yeah. a different giftedness that um, I'm, yeah. I'm gifted to run my mouth. And so if you take that away from me, yeah. um, the administrative side of, uh, of maybe being a, a a small groups pastor would be a better fit for someone that doesn't preach every single week Yeah, that organizes uh, small groups and um, does more leadership. I, I love to preach. And so I don't, I don't think I could do it. Yeah. I, I don't think you could. And I don't think you should because mm-hmm. God's gifting on your life. Dylan, your journey to our church is a little bit different. We had the location drop in our lap. We need a leader. And uh, I promised the small congregation that gave us their campus, and many of those folks have joined our church, that we would go out and find the right pastor, started that search through some relationships of some guys on my team. They knew you, that attended college with you. Talk about your journey just the last few years building up to what you had been through very quickly to get you to the point where now you get a phone call from me. Yeah, absolutely. So I I grew up in the area here in the upstate, and uh, my grandma actually lived half a mile on the same street as Church of the Middle Lake Cooley. Back then, of course, it was Lake Cooley Baptist and then later the church at Lake Cooley. But so I was familiar with the church, familiar with the area that it's in and uh, went to North Greenville for college for majored in Christian studies there and worked part time uh, uh, doing youth ministry while I was at North Greenville. And from there, moved to Louisville, Kentucky to go to Southern Seminary where Amy and I met each other and uh in 2019, we got married and moved to Germany, uh, where I took a position with a church, an international Baptist church, 
uh, also doing youth ministry and a bunch of other things. And like you, that was, uh, that was COVID and we didn't know <laughs> how we to were. do international church during COVID. And you were in Europe during COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, the Lord used that to bring us back to the States and, uh, had the opportunity to come on staff with the church in Charleston and yeah. that opened the door for us to, uh, can reconnect with those college friends that you mentioned at the yeah. state Baptist convention last fall and, yeah. and hear about what God was doing at church at the mill. And they came to me and they said, pastor, if you really can't find anybody, maybe Dylan <laughs> will do it. And so uh, I really hadn't. And so I actually had gone down the path with a guy that's a dear friend of mine that I thought would be perfect. And at the last minute, he just said, I, I just don't have freedom to leave my current spot. And, you know, obviously as a leader and a guy who likes to see things happen, I was a little frustrated, but I trust him and was back to square one and and sort of told some guys in my inner circle, if I don't have a guy by Thanksgiving, we're going to push the opening because there are two things you got to have for a campus, a location and a leader, and both are important. And so if they're leaderless, uh, you won't have anybody at your location. And if you're locationless, not that many people want to lead it. And so uh, they gave me your name, and I called you. We had a great conversation. You drove up pretty quickly, and we, we had dinner, and – you know, I knew that you were the kind of person, you know, you and Adam, and I would just say both of you, just to honor you as guests of mine uh, this afternoon, you know, people have asked me a little bit about this. We are so new to the multi-site game. I, I don't like for people to ask my wisdom on it because we're learning. But I but I do believe um, very, very deeply that there's just a handful of characteristics i got to have in a guy who's a campus pastor. And number one, he, he has got to be humble enough to recognize he's not the senior pastor. And I don't mean that in any way dictatorially or egotistically, but i got to have a guy who wants to be on a team versus who wants to lead out a congregation on his own. So there has to be a, a humility there to say, I believe in the overall vision of Church at the Mill, and I believe that it's bigger than me, and it's even bigger than my campus. And so i got to have a guy with that genuine humility. But then i got to have a guy who can do it, who can preach. Uh, Church at the Mill is passionate about the preaching of God's Word, and so... Uh, our people support these campuses, but they want the word preached. And so I need a guy who can preach. And then thirdly, I just need a guy who loves his people. And, and I, I can just say that I'm two for two, and I couldn't be more pleased with the way you guys are humbly following my leadership. Uh, and, and, and you are uh, good preachers becoming great preachers, and you love your people. And, and honestly, I, I think for those listening, ministry shouldn't be complicated. That's the way that it, that it should work. So talk about your experience being a campus pastor at Church of the Mill. So I, I'll throw two questions out, and I'll let you think. And uh, each of you take them uh, um, and uh, take the first one and then take the second one. So first question, uh, what, what, what has been the biggest surprise to this journey of becoming a campus pastor and then what's been the biggest lesson you've learned? So let's go with surprise first. Dylan, what, you know, when you came into this, I described to you a new position in a new location on a new church staff under a new senior pastor in a new community that you weren't living in. You grew up here. A lot of new there. So what what has surprised you that you weren't expecting? I mean, you know, you know that the Lord is faithful. The Lord is kind. The Lord isn't going to. Um, call you into anything that he isn't going to uh, prepare you for and equip you in. And I, I would just say the it's not a surprise in a negative sense, but I've just been so surprised and delighted mm -hmm. in 
the kindness of our congregation in welcoming Amy and I in, mm. the genuine love that we've experienced here, mm-hmm. uh, and how quickly that's come, how quickly they've been, they uh, have supported us. And, uh, I, you know, we've, we've only been at this for just about five months now mm-hmm. at, as a church, as a congregation. And uh, I feel genuinely loved by our church family. Mm. And it, it hasn't been long. So I'm, I'm just, you know, I don't know necessarily what you're going for, but I, I'm... Well, there's no there's no agenda other than you just being sincere with your response. No, absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I you know, the, the, those are the sort of things that come all typically in, in a church, but I'm just surprised at how quickly it's come and how, how our congregation has uh, rallied around us and mm. loved us so well. It did happen fast, didn't it? Mm-hmm. I think, you know, your response uh, uh, just prompts in me, like, we, we love church planters. We got a guy on our team, you guys know, who's going to leave and go plant a church out west and, uh, and really target the LDS community, which is hard soil to plow. And as, as long as we're in leadership, we're going to be about church planting. And, you know, one of the things that church planters tell you is, is that it, it takes time. You know, the guys that have the explosive growth overnight tend to get to write the books, but that's not the average church plant. It just takes time. It took time for church at the mill uh, in 1988 with 30 people to get to where she is today. It took time. But the beauty of campuses is, is that we can expediate that time with people. Mm-hmm. So so at Lake Cooley, we, we sent about 200 actively involved members from the central campus who already lived in that community and were burdened for their community, which means you and Amy roll in and you inherit a well-trained, mobilized congregation who probably, and I don't mean this uh, uh, as a criticism to you, but just because you were new, they understood the vision of Church of the Mill better than you did because they'd been setting in it uh, uh, long before you ever came. And I think that's the beauty of the multi-site model. Absolutely. And also I would just add to that, the health of the people that get sent in this sort of model that we have here. You know, there was, there was a moment that Amy felt a burden to start a particular group to help out, um, at Lake Cooley. And I was like, no, you don't have to do that at our, our previous context. Like we would have had to have taken all of the burden on ourselves, yeah. but we have such healthy members and such, uh, well-equipped leaders, just yeah. lay leaders within the body yeah. that, that we don't have to take that sort of burden on ourselves. Yeah. And you know, the, the thing is, is that because of the locale of multi-site, we don't just send a young man and his wife, we send members mm. and, uh, and we can continue to do that. Adam, what, what is God, what's been your aha moment? What's he surprised you with? I think one of the biggest surprises is there were a lot of questions going into this situation. You were um, the first. We're the first. Yeah. Um, there's not many churches that do this model out there that we can draw from. And so yeah. uh, one of the questions going into this is, what is the dynamic going to be between me shepherding the congregation in Woodruff um, and, and and me being at a campus pastor, or basically an extension of your leadership yeah. um, as well? And uh, the, the one of the greatest surprises I've seen is that um, the posture of your leadership, the posture of this church really has been, how can I resource you to be the best shepherd you can be in Woodruff? Yeah. Um, which is, which has really freed me up. I wake up every morning. I don't worry about 
meeting demands and expectations from a central campus. Some people may call it a mothership. That's not the that's not the case at all. I wake mm. up every morning praying how I'm going to minister and shepherd to a people. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I I would say I would say that I've learned that I think this model works. Mm. I think this model works for a young guy who who wants to be developed. Yeah, um, who. Who just like you said, if I've got a passion to reach a people and it's just me going out, I, I've got some hard soil to plow through. Right. But coming from the resources and the leadership um, from this model, um, I'm not alone. And yeah. It's almost not fair. I, I feel like it's not fair for <laughs> for a guy two years into leading leading a camp a campus or a congregation. Yeah. Um, to get to do what what I get to do every day. Yeah, I mean, if you think about statistically, you're two years in. You're 140 days. I told them uh, recently. You guys are 140 days old. I don't know if you knew that, but you're 140 days in. Both of you are preaching to around. Well, the weekly attendance is around 400 a week, and, of course, that has some children in it. So you're preaching to well over 200, 250 people, uh, maybe more. Uh, you have staff under you, serve beside you, uh, and you both have buildings, and you have budgets to operate under. And there are a lot of guys right out of seminary that would, that would love that opportunity. And I think that's the beauty of it as well, is that we're just taking what we do well, and we're reproducing it. But I appreciate what you said, Adam, because, you know, I can't pastor Woodruff. I, I, I can't pastor Lake Cooley. You know, my biggest conviction, my biggest struggle, and I've joked with you guys before, when I retire, I want to go somewhere where the hunting's good and get me about 100 people and pastor them so I can actually take care of people. Hmm. Um, I do have a shepherd's heart, but it's just become so much harder to keep up with the sheer numbers. And, you know, I heard it's been said years and years ago. I, I certainly didn't coin the term, but you better become smaller as you become bigger. And I think this is the way. This is the way to do it. It brings me great joy to know that the congregation Lake Cooley, who I saw uh, the night before this recording, precious group of people. We had a wonderful time casting vision about more than ever that that you're going to shepherd them. And it was good to see them. I hugged a few necks. I talked with people. I got a few prayer requests. But that's your burden to bear. But it's one you're called to. That's right. All right. Biggest lesson learned, you know, after biggest surprise. What what's the aha moment that you didn't expect that God has taught you, stretched you, pushed you as the campus pastor in this model, Adam? I think going in, uh, the first big obstacle or realization that I learned is that it's going to take time uh, to mold different people, streams of people coming into one campus. If you're going to do the campus model, that means you're going to have families that that come with you that's used to used to one one way of doing church from central campus from the central okay. campus. Yeah, you're, you're going to be in, inheriting or going into a place where where people are coming that do that know nothing about the DNA of church at the mill. Yeah, and they're all sitting under one roof trying to learn how to do life together, how yeah. to worship together. Um, literally, uh, as I was preaching one Sunday, I looked up and realized there was three different congregations sitting in one under one roof, mm. um, and you could tell that that they were different. Yeah. And so uh, the biggest lesson I would say number one is is that if if you're going to do a model like this, you need to make sure that you go with plenty of people, core people that know the DNA of what you're striving for as a church yeah. to make it healthy. Um, and then two. 
when you begin to put groups together in small groups um, and in different formats, make sure you blend them together. Cross-pollinate. Give them environments to get to know one another so that the walls break down. Yeah, and, and, and you're not even talking about manipulate. Just tell them, hey, we, we need to meet one another. You yeah, know, don't we, even we, lie to them. Just because we spend money on graphics and print material and throw a sign up and hire a guy like you who preaches well, that doesn't make you guys a congregation. Not at all, and it takes time. Yeah, I like that. What was your aha moment, Dylan? What What's the Lord shocked you or surprised you with? What, what lesson have you learned? Yeah, I'd say a couple of things. I, I completely agree with everything that Adam said and seeing those groups of people come together. But for me, you know, coming into uh, coming on staff, not knowing the church, not knowing um, the congregation yet or the people, and not knowing my staff, being the youngest person on my staff as, mm-hmm. as their leader, uh, I had a lot of insecurities wrapped up in all of that. Um, and just, just to see the, the Lord's kindness, you know, again, that he's called me to this, he's equipped me for this. And, uh, now 140 days in and yeah. things are going so well, mm-hmm. uh, like Adam said earlier, we couldn't have planned how well things are going as, yeah. as folks get to know each other to mm-hmm. Adam's point as, uh, the staff executes well, uh, we have a, a great team environment on our, our staff at Lake Cooley. Everybody supports each other well and uh, helps carry each other's burdens. Uh, so, man, I think the the team that you go with is either going to make you or break you. And we have a great team at Lake Cooley. That's good. Yeah. So I don't think either one of you are sitting here or in your position if this was a non-preaching post. And I've said this before, and I'm, I'm unapologetic about it. So grateful for all the ways God uses uh, his people and all the ways his people use technology. So I got no energy, no time to throw rocks at or be critical of churches that use simulcast, that centralize their teaching and broadcast it uh, to other locations. And most of them don't actually broadcast is, is really not an accurate term. Most of them do what we do, which is when, on occasion when we do address all of them, we pre-record um, so, so that we have time if there are any glitches to make sure that there's a good digital product in front of our people. However, I became deeply convinced that the most theologically sound, most biblically solid model was to raise up the next generation of young men uh, to preach. At the same time, I am interested in controlling doctrine, vision, mission, philosophy, unity. And so you and I set out on a path together and we've really learned together, Adam, you and I, a couple of years, uh, Dylan, 140 days, a little, a few months before that you were sitting in where we preached together as a team. Now I could talk for a long time about my side of that, but that would be uh, disrespectful of your time. I've wanted you to share from your side of that as a campus pastor. What's it been like preaching on a team, Dylan? Yeah, it's, it's been great. You know, I came into this thinking that I was a decent preacher and uh, I, I just feel that I have grown so much, even in five months, in, mm. my, in my ability, in my comfort, uh, being able to uh, put in my prep and then come to our sermon meetings on Wednesdays where we hash out the sermon outline together has been so helpful for sharpening that saw. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I, I'm just, you know, as, as a young guy, first uh, preaching post first preaching post, first lead role like this, this is uh, to have an environment where I get to learn, where I get to be discipled, where I get to uh, have a team to work on sermon material with. Um, 
but also the ability, like Adam was saying, to contextualize it to my people and think about how to apply it to their lives. Uh, I can't think of a better setup. Yeah. Adam? Yeah, the, I think the biggest surprise is when Dylan joined us. I mean, I'll be honest, when it was me and you, um, I'm sitting before a brother right now that's got 20-plus years of preaching experience. And, and, and all of my experience, most of it comes from speaking to students. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just sure. different. It is different. Um, and so when we, I remember the, the day one when me and you would sit here and, and, and meet. Um, I really didn't have a whole lot. Or at least I felt like I didn't have a whole lot to bring to the table. Mm. Um, your, your experience in, in taking the word and breaking it down and being able to construct a sermon that is very simple and can be communicated clearly to a congregation is a skill set that you learn over time. Mm. And so I found myself uh, really leaning in on you, uh, in, 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 especially in the early stages. Yeah. Um, with Dylan coming in and two years into this, what's made it fun is that um, the recipe for a good sermon is the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the man of God preaching. But now we've got the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and we got three men of God coming together, yeah. studying the text all week long, talking about um, not just how we're going to communicate it, but good illustrations to that, that are really going to come home with it. And right. um, I've benefited uh, dealing from things that uh, that the Lord's laid on your eyes or your own, your own heart in interpreting the text um, that my congregation has benefited from by me being able to share that. And um, I love that. So when we think about this, I think I would also add, uh, you know, um, I'm, I've enjoyed it. Like I've benefited, you know, um, been preaching a long time and preaching's my jam. I mean, I love it, you know. Um, and someone might argue, well, you know, if, if preaching is your passion and, and you feel like that's your uh, area where the Lord has, has been gracious to you, why not? Why not simulcast? Why not bless more people with that gift? Um, and, and it really comes down to you guys. Um, I think people, I think people need to be able to speak to their shepherd. And I think there is a dangerous divorce in shepherding and pastoring and preaching, um, even in the SBC and some of our most modern debates about uh, the role of men and the role of women and the role of staff, um, I think the most important leader of the church is the man who stands up on Sunday and gives his people the book. Uh, sadly, we turn preaching into a discipline, and then everybody who loves leadership wrote leadership books, and everybody who loves preaching wrote preaching books, and when actually I, I think the greatest form of leading a church is preaching and good preaching should make you a better leader. And so when I think about this journey, what's, what's it done in my life is that it's definitely changed the rhythm of my preparation because I feel the burden to get you guys ready, but it's actually, I think that's a poor choice of words. It's not been a burden. It's been a blessing. I've enjoyed it and I've been, enjoyed the ideas. And I actually think none of us are old, you know, by today's standards. You guys are, how do you, Adam? I am 36. How old are you? 29. Okay. So you're 36, 29. I'm 45. So uh, again, many pastors older than us that are faithfully preaching God's word. But I think as I age, it excites me to think about a room full of guys 10 and 15 years younger than me who will help me make sure not that I see the text correctly. I, I, I can learn from anybody, but I, I think we get there with good commentaries, exegetical resources, but that I make sure and connect the text to the culture that I'm preaching to. And uh, it's just been fun 
to do it together. And the other thing I think is, is that, you know, no matter who you are, if you have a gift, I think you need to do two things with it in the kingdom. You need to bless people with it. That's why I preach. But you need to give it away. So, so really, if anybody is gifted in any area, I think the Lord's going to hold you accountable. Did you reproduce anybody else who benefited from your giftedness and grew in their giftedness? And so I, I do. I, I love the model. One of the things we do in our preaching prep before we dive into it is we also talk about just pastoral issues. So what's it like leading a campus um, as the pastor, as the shepherd, uh, but you're also uh, leading a campus not in isolation? We have a lot of conversations about pastoral leadership issues and strategy and things like that. Uh, what has helped you? What's hurt you? What, what, what has that process been like? Adam? Yeah, I would say that when I, when I say it's not fair being in a position that I'm in, this is one of those areas I would say. Um, when I felt the conviction and call to lead a church and to lead a congregation and to preach, most guys, when they start, they go through years of getting it wrong, making deci- bad decisions and learning from those things. And With the best of intentions. Absolutely. Yeah, you're not talking about morally falling or theologically compromising. You're just talking about uh, hustle fouls. Absolutely. And then if you do reach out for wisdom, you're reaching out from wisdom from people that are, are wise, but they don't know your people. And in this in this particular scenario, every week we sit down, I, I can come to you and, and, and bring an issue to the table. And more than likely, you know the people that I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the context I'm ministering in. And you're able not only to give me wisdom, but give me direct wisdom on on how this situation should be handled. Mm-hmm. Um no, no man should have a big enough ego to think he's got all the right answers mm, to himself. That's so true. And so, um, I, honestly, I get to operate and shepherd people as if I've been doing it for 10 years, and I'm only two years in. Mm. Dylan, what would you say? Yeah, I completely agree. I think one thing that's unique about our context and our situation is uh, not only that we have those opportunities where the three of us meet up weekly, but that I know that I can call you at any time if a situation arises. Mm-hmm. I can call our executive pastor, Ken, if there's a situation that I need to run something through and mm-hmm. lean on somebody. I can call Adam up and, and do often. Yeah. Uh, and uh, just to have the the team here of, of and, and not just you guys, but really anybody on our, our staff mm-hmm. uh, to know that, that I'm not alone and I'm not isolated. Uh, yeah, I completely agree with what the, the sentiment of what Adam's getting at, that if I had taken a church, the Lord had put on my heart that I, I wanted to preach, I wanted to to lead and, and be in this role that I'm in. But mm. if I had taken a church where I would have been uh, the only pastor on that team, then uh, sure, there might have been some associational support to reach out to and and resources like that. But, but not people in my context that know the people who I'm working with and shepherding. And, uh, so yeah, I, I just completely agree that uh, I feel it's unfair that I have all these blessings that the mm-hmm. Lord has just poured out on us in, in our model here. That's good. Last question. What's, uh, what excites you most about our future? And you can answer it in one of two ways, like our future at church, of the mill, but also our future at church, of the mill in regards to your campus, what excites you the most Dylan? Man, you know, we're, again, we're 140 days in at Lake Cooley. We don't know what we don't know. We don't. We, we still have light switches that we don't know what they go to. <laughs> and, you know, like, 
I, the Lord in the last five months has done so much. We've baptized people. We've walked through the membership process with people. We've grieved with people. We've rejoiced with people. And I'm just excited that as we, you know, as I think about what God has done in Woodruff and the, the favor Mm. that God has given the Woodruff campus with the Woodruff community. I'm excited to see uh, what the Lord is going to do through our campus as we reach, make inroads into Inman and Lyman and Welford and the communities around us. I, I think that was illustrated to me last night. I was with your people and I just asked, raise your hand if you came from Central. And now, of course, this was a Sunday night meeting. I was casting vision. So it's not necessarily fully representative of a Sunday morning crowd, but almost every hand went up which is good and bad. The good news is the core is there, but it also shows we're just now getting started of making a dent in the unchurched in that community. And that speaks to Adam's uh, point earlier, which is well taken. It takes time. That's right. You know, this is not a pop-up franchise. Mm. You know, the first day you open Chick-fil-A anywhere, everybody knows what to expect, you know, and they go, they don't need a legacy. That's not the case when you're dealing with people's souls. Adam, when you... I lay in bed at night and you think about our future and you're excited. What do you think about? Two levels, really. When it comes to the Woodruff congregation, we could not have planted that church in a better time. Mm. We we got in about four years before uh, Woodruff is about to explode. Yeah. And we're not behind the game. No. We, we got before the game yeah. to set up a healthy congregation. And so now you have new subdivisions. You you're set for the population to triple down in Woodruff. That's right. And we're already set with the foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, the Lord's just al- about to allow us to uh, just to take hold of, of a 10-acre property right in the middle in the heart of Woodruff where nobody drops their kids off at school without seeing our church, which means we have that opportunity. If not us, who is going to reach the families that are being brought in from all over the United States? That excites me and it terrifies me because mm. we have a job to do. Yeah, you do. Um, but also, uh, just a, in a funny way, uh, church overall, um, we were the firstborn of the of campus. That's right. You're you our know. first campus. And when, I remember two years ago, it was just all take. We just give me, give me, give me. We want all the things. We need all the resources. We don't. We can't stand on our own two feet yet. We don't even know who we are yet. Yeah. And now we're two years in. Um, but I I, I want to get. I want us to get as a congregation to a place where. Um, we're not just adding value to Woodruff, man, but we're adding value to the entire county. So there, there are going to be people, maybe hopefully, prayerfully, that are going to be sent out from our congregation that are going to go plant another church. Well, I can almost guarantee you there will be, and I can 100% guarantee you that currently, especially during more than ever, Woodruff dollars and Lake Cooley dollars matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wayne Bray, who I interviewed for a, a podcast uh, about multi-site, uh, gave me some great terminology I'd never used. He said their goal is for all their campuses to transition from investments to investors, meaning they're all a net loss financially and people-wise. In other words, it costs us people and dollars to launch them, and it is a burden we gladly bear. It's an investment. We were glad to send those people to Lake Cooley and Woodruff. We're glad to send those dollars. We're glad to spend a tremendous amount of money securing Woodruff a campus and renovating Lake Cooley's. We're happy to do it. It's an investment. But what we want is for those congregations to turn and see such growth that they're investors, that they're not net takers, but that they invest back into Church at the Mill and that our family of campuses benefits from the growth of Lake Cooley and the growth of Woodruff. And I I fully believe that. And I actually still believe on the table, though I don't have a date or a time, or I've not received a green light from the Lord, and 
most of the time I have to mess up six or eight times before I get it right. But I think down the road, we will have the opportunity to seek his will as to whether or not any of our campuses need to be autonomous. And we'll know, and the campus will know, and the Lord will affirm that, and the leaders will know. But that's the goal, to get these churches so healthy that they may, uh, we may all feel led for them to continue to be a part of Church at the Mill. Or there may be a point where we say, hey, we got some other things we want to do, and you are ready, and we're going to transition you from a baby, uh, to use an analogy very dear to Dylan's heart, who's a new daddy, to a sister or a brother church. And either way, we're going to be doing the same things. Either way. Well, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for investment in our church. At the end of the day, thank you for being willing to be a part of this journey with me. Absolutely. Thank you, DJ. Love it. For those of you listening, thank you for joining me for this More Than Ever podcast, talking to our two campus pastors who lead our Lake Cooley campus and our Woodruff campus, as Dylan Baxter and Adam Siski. Again, I'm DJ Horton, Senior Pastor of Church at the Mill. Hope you've enjoyed this content. If it's your first podcast, there are others that are going to uh, be uh, uploaded for you to listen to, and some already exist. And if you are part of Church at the Mill, more than ever, be praying about your role in everything that we're doing to accomplish our vision. What is it? to be a deeply faithful, remarkably healthy, highly impactful multi-site church. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great rest of your day.